Dutch are sitting across from me. Greg. What up? We're together again. It's good, man. I'll tell you, Nathan, you and I have just been... Um, Ships passing in the night. We have been. It, it's been a good tag team relationship. Yeah. But it feels weird. Dude. I feel it, like we should have some romantic, like, bromance song in the background. <laughs> Islands in the stream. Just uh, the two of us. Right. <laughs> Ash versus yeah. Evil Dead reference right there. Yes, very good. Or the next time you lead uh, you know, this thing without me or vice versa, all by myself. There you go. Dramatic, you know, um, karaoke, I can see it. But it's good That's to be back great. with you, dude. Absolutely. And uh, just want to say, you know, since uh, since we were away on These Go to 11 uh, separately, we uh, had our spinoff podcast, Pop yes. Culture Ninja. Dude, so, can I just tell you how excited I am about that, Pop Culture Ninja, or as Reverend James King called it, Pop Ninja Culture? That's right. <laughs> um, either or. I'm just ecstatic about it. I think um, – it, it, you know, the whole entertainment world, reading, books, movies, TV, we, we touch on it, mm-hmm. and we've had our good share of episodes on it, yep. that many times I thought, man, you, you could just never, never get to the bottom yeah. of that kind of stuff, and it's ever-evolving. So I thought it was a great first podcast. I want to remind listeners uh, that, you know, for a short while, we're helping giving it its launch. Yes. So it's going to be on our feed, but go over... It's on iTunes now, right, Nathan? I think it came through. Um, I don't know if it officially came through. I was finally able to get everything submitted through iTunes. Um, But it was over the weekend. So I'm thinking that because it's a weekend, it was still being under review. It could have been. It should should be up soon this week, though. Yeah, it took us, I remember, when we launched. It was within a week uh, that it was was up and running. And if not – and for those of you that are Podbean users, we have many of those too – Obviously, go over to uh, Pop Culture Ninja. Mm-hmm. You can search for it on Podbean and just um, be ready for it. Subscribe yep. and you'll be there. Because right now, we're going to release the episode simultaneously yes. on both platforms. But yep. soon, it'll be on its own platform. Yep. And um, I look forward to dropping in on that from time Yeah, time. absolutely. And uh, just to you let people it. know. What's that, Dave? You guys sound like my grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you've told me you've told me many times that we are less mature than your grandchildren. <laughs> I got a couple of grandsons that are obsessed with ninjas, and uh, <laughs> one of them is so proud that he has a ninja spy training book. He told me all the secrets, and I just think he'd be a great addition to this podcast. I wow. think I have that same book. <laughs> I think so, man. <laughs> We would love to get one of those shy grandchildren on. Absolutely. I mean, dude, just for blackmail. I know. The stuff we could get out about Well, we're their... still trying to get his you know, his son Mike on. I yeah, mean, he's hosed this man. I know. He's hosed this. But we'll, we'll get Mike on sometime. He's But look at this, dude. Um, Dave has outed himself before we even got to introduce him. I know. I know. Jump the gun on us. So we got uh, Dave Shive joining us. This is like back in the old days, man. It is. How, how long ago was it you were on, Dave? Yeah, oh, it seems like an awful long time. I don't know. When you get as old as I do, it's all just uh, your short-term memory goes, and you just can't keep track of things. <laughs> yes, yes. And just for our listeners, many of whom asked me when you were on a few months ago, Dave, if you were eighty, you were saying you're about <laughs> to enter your eighth decade, which, right? Which means he's hitting the big seventy, not eighty. Just like your right. first your first year is zero, not one. It's that right. kind of deal. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's 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 old, but he's not that old. Yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, I, I, I trying to remember what the last podcast you were on with us, Dave. It was, it, I knew it was sometime. It was in 2016. Yeah, it escapes me. Yeah, it was a few months ago. Yeah, we'll have to go back and look it up in the archives. Yeah, but we probably won't. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> that, that's how we roll here. It is, man. <laughs> that's yesterday, man. That's right. Um, so, Dave, we're so excited to have you on. Um, we've got a couple great topics we want to talk to you about um, and, and, you know, some nice uh, theological directions we want to go in. But first, um, you have um, been uniquely um, involved or indirectly involved in an incident that has gotten some notoriety in in the news recently from down in Jamaica. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what's going on and, and the people involved and how, how you're indirectly involved in all that? Uh, sure. Um, I'm glad to talk about this. This is a really uh, important topic. About uh, nine, ten days ago, April 30th, uh, two missionaries were brutally murdered in Jamaica. Uh, what made this personal was that they were both missionaries with an organization called Teams, T-E-A-M-S. Uh, and um, I'll just say at the start, their website is T, the number 4, mm.org, if anyone wants to take a look at the website. Uh, but this organization was led for many years by my brother, uh, Ray, and uh, now is under the leadership of John Heater, and uh, my brother is the director emeritus. Uh, at any rate, uh, uh, these two men, Harold Nichols, who's married with no children, and Randy Hensel, who's married with five children, mm. uh, had gone out to scout out a, uh, just to ride around on their motorcycles for some fun because they were good friends, and then they wanted to scout out a site where they were going to build a house for some poor people. And uh, they didn't return home. Their bodies were found. Uh, they'd been bludgeoned, handcuffed. Mm. Uh, just an absolutely horrible, senseless uh, killing. Uh, they never. This organization had never had a problem before in Jamaica. Uh, robbery was probably not a motive, but nobody really knows for sure what the motive was. Uh, the FBI has sent uh, uh, Jamaica requested the FBI to send some help in investigating it. Hmm. Uh, they don't even know if the people who killed them knew them or not. It was in a, a parish where they work called St. Mary's Parish, uh, where uh, both of them, especially Harold Nichols, were well-known. Harold been in Jamaica for 14 years, living there, uh, Randy Hensel for six years. And uh, so they were well-known, and uh, their ministry was simply uh, phenomenal. Uh, this agency... Uh, has uh, been for a number of years doing extensive medical relief uh, in the St. Mary's Parish area. Uh, every quarter they send a team down uh, called a J-team that includes doctors, nurses, pharmacists, as well as builders and Bible teachers. Uh, and these teams are there for a week every quarter uh, investing in the lives of the impoverished people of St. Mary's Parish who cannot uh, afford or even access at times quality uh, health care. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, on those trips, on any given trip, uh, over 700 Jamaicans are seen by doctors, examined, over 2,200 free prescriptions are given out on each trip. 
And in addition, they have um, a Bible club that meets weekly where over 100 kids come to what's called the Teens House, which is a large home that was purchased for ministry purposes on the North Shore. And uh, so these kids come ages 5 to 15, and then there's a teen camp for the older kids. Uh, Every day, uh, Harold and Terry would provide breakfast for kids as they walked to school. Mm. Significant number of kids would get breakfast. Um, they would uh, the JTs would build houses, uh, which you know is like maybe a couple bedroom size of our house, maybe one or two bedrooms of a typical American house. But yeah. to the Jamaicans, these are incredible because they are stable, they're well built, and many of them live in shacks where they're made of plywood and cardboard and just falling down and rotting out, and so especially for the poor, for widows, they would build these houses, and that was what they were checking out when they were murdered. Mm. Uh, and um, so, uh, and then they have a Bible training center because the Jamaican church is uh, somewhat weak and, and has uh, a lack of resources. So um, about 70 enrolled in the Bible training center where they are equipped to provide leadership in the church to teach the Bible. And uh, and so uh, this is a, a great breakthrough. It's all under Jamaican leadership, the Bible Training Center is. And really, the extent of this uh, ministry is just unimaginable. And so all of that's to say that... Uh, and I went on one of these trips a few years ago and met Harold Nichols at the time. Uh, I would say, without exaggeration, he's one of the nicest people I have ever met. Mm. And I think everybody bears witness to that. The entire community of Jamaicans is in shock and in grief over this incident. Wow. Uh, the prime minister has visited the widows, and, uh, and it's just uh, a staggering loss in many ways because this small mission uh, only had a few people as full-time missionaries. Uh, the Nichols and the Hensels in Jamaica were the only on-the-ground staff of the mission, and then in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is where the home offices are, they have a full-time pharmacist as well as some office personnel. And so it was a small operation with a huge, huge impact on this very impoverished area in Jamaica. Wow. And, you know, so this this loss is incalculable in many ways. Uh, What I've been blessed with is to see the response of the mission and of the widows to this. I haven't heard a word of rancor or bitterness or anger or calls for justice from anybody in a significant position. Uh, The widow just today uh, said that uh, she was, uh, I think I wrote it down somewhere because I was so impressed by it, and I can't find my note now, but uh, she had said that uh, she was just uh, so, she has no regrets, and uh, and and she's just uh, praising the Lord. You've got this one fellow, Randy, who has five kids back in Iowa now, uh, where his wife and kids are, and uh, memorial services are going on all over the place. But the in the larger picture, it's bigger than teens. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about uh, people who had no fear. Yeah, uh, Jamaica has a lot of violence, gang rivalries, drug dealing. And though the J-teams and the staff had never really experienced anything that they felt threatened by, uh, nevertheless, there were risks 
there was the cost simply of living in a poverty, impoverished community. And uh, they paid that price. They gave themselves unstintingly uh, in the care and love of the poor. And, uh, yeah, here's my note. Terry said today on Facebook she has no fear and no regrets. Wow. And uh, and and so they, uh, rather than uh, you know, what we might expect, there's just been tremendous courage on the part of these widows. That's not the fault. Widows who grieve and and sob and and cry and all the natural emotional responses. But Cherry's been a rock, hmm. and it's really uh, been uh, helped to focus attention on the Lord. Uh, there is a cost in serving God. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, two thousand years of Christian history, it's estimated that 70 million have lost their lives as martyrs. Yeah. And um, so the whole idea of martyrdom uh, becomes clear when we think of that. And uh, in some places in the world, it's a regular occurrence. In Jamaica, this kind of uh, incident is, is less frequent perhaps non-frequent, and so that makes it even more staggering. And Dave, we uh, uh, we had lunch uh, a week ago when, when you told me of this, uh-huh. and at the time, you know, um, there was very little known, and it sounds to me like this is still uh, a rather bizarre, mysterious event uh, for men that had served at this mission for some time. Because, you know, I had asked you when we talked if there was any potential terrorist element um, to this kind of, uh, you know, violent act, particularly how the men were handcuffed, um, which is a really, really uh, disturbing, unsettling feature. Uh, And and are things pretty much still there in terms of uh, what is known about this by investigators and police? I have not heard any updates, and so I think it's kind of hush-hush at this point, Okay, uh, which may mean they don't know anything. Uh, terrorism is, uh, if you're thinking in terms of Muslim terrorism, is that what you're thinking, Greg? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was just, uh, I don't know, just uh, just very strange, because yeah. uh, now oh. now when you mention um, that there there is violence there, which had largely untouched this mission... Um, you know, I, I just found it a little puzzling if it was a robbery right. for money. Um, yeah. and it sounds like it just may be too early to know. Yeah. Well, there, uh, apparently their motorcycles were not stolen. Uh, I don't know if they were like their phones or wallets or their watches or anything were taken. Um, the violence is, uh, very much gang rivalries, drug dealing, government corruption, Right, uh, but it's more predominant in heavily populated areas. These uh, St. Mary's Parish is more uh, rural, maybe 114,000 people in the entire area, which is like a large county. Hmm. Yeah, and um, so no, there's no, uh, and, and and Muslims are a really tiny minority in Jamaica. Yeah, uh, Rastafarians outnumber. Muslims in, in Jamaica. Right, right. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's 83% Christian, with about 28% of that being evangelical Christians. Okay. And the, the next largest religion is ethno-religions uh, like, you know, voodoo and, you know, offbeat kinds of things that are more tied into the culture. Sure. And uh, also, Dave, I wanted to uh, point out, you said your brother Ray, really kind of a two-pronged question here. He's had some... Um, you know, obviously 
in light of the suddenness of this and the, the sweeping nature of the tragedy, he sort of jumped in as a spokesperson on the news. Uh, you could tell us about that if you could, and you could also tell us closely related that uh, he's learned a lot about how the news gets things wrong. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's interesting. The director, John Heater, and his wife immediately flew to Jamaica to be with the uh, widow down there. And so uh, Ray, who's basically not in the office much and is just director emeritus, was pressed into action. Yeah. And so he did a lot of the interviews, and the networks caught this uh, somewhat quickly. And so all the major networks, anybody that's interested can just Google something like Jamaican missionaries murdered or whatever, and you'll get a whole bunch of stories popping up because it really did catch catch on. So that's why he uh, got involved with that. Yeah, and uh, I think he told me that um, there were things that you know, he – uh, was asked, and then the right. way the way it was presented, it came out. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, which you forget. I mean, we sure. we we trust that all the news we get all the time, right. or you know, yeah. we shouldn't is clear. And uh, I don't know if you can give us an example of that. Or well, I, I'm trying to remember at the moment. I just remember reading some news reports and thinking, "Oh, that's odd. I didn't know that." And I would email my brother, and he said, "I never said that." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I mean, it wasn't like it was huge, hugely important. Yeah. But it was nevertheless details mm. that, uh, you know, you think if they get that detail wrong, well, it's this other piece of information, right? How much did they get wrong? And then you begin to wonder when I read news reports of anything, how much of it is accurate? Because in this case, there were just a lot of little details that were reported inaccurately. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, Dave, you, you had sent me some things over the weekend, but I just pulled one up right here right now. It's five days old, uh, CNN. Uh, Jamaica hunts for two clues in the death of two U.S. missionaries. Um, you know, highlights that are coming in. Again, if these are accurate. Jamaican police say uh, Americans' bodies were found about 550 yards apart. Uh, missionaries, uh, you, as you said, Harold Nichols, Randy Hensel, uh, were preparing to build a house for a family. Police spokeswoman, uh, uh, woman's quoted as saying there was nothing to indicate anyone wanted to do them any harm. Um, mm-hmm. and there's, there's quite a bit of links in this article. So just to let people know too, Nathan, we're going to put this on our, for lack of term show notes, that's yeah. that, that, uh, a better term that's been coming up a lot, but our little write up, which yep. can be accessed on Podbean or on iTunes, Dave, I'll make sure when we are done tonight, we get the link, mm-hmm. um, and people that want to learn more, perhaps even prayerfully consider supporting, um, you know, offering help. Uh, these are sometimes the kind of things that uh, compel people uh, to think beyond their own world, and uh, yeah. we would certainly want to do that in this case. Yeah, yeah, and they they have started memorial funds for both um, widows and the kids, and you can go to the team's website t number four mm dot org and get information on that. Let me just say one more thing before we leave this topic. Uh, as is often the case, there are responses from all places. I remember back in 1956, I was nine and a half, and the Ecuadorian missionaries were murdered. Jim Elliott was Mm -hmm. the most famous. And uh, there was a huge outpouring of response um, of volunteers to go into missions, just as with Chet Bitterman was killed in uh, Colombia, South America, same kind of thing. And people said, well, praise God that uh, good will come out of this. And while that's always true, we have to remember, and Elizabeth Elliot wrote 
very profoundly in the fourth edition of her book about this story when she said that, don't forget, there were four widows and a whole bunch of children that would be um, forever impacted by this. Yeah. And while we don't want to uh, minimize the, the good that God can bring out of that, we should not trivialize the loss of these people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so this is a huge loss. And the other thing is that often now, especially in the 21st century, when we're so um, uh, worried about uh, what others will do to us, the dangers that the world offers, there can be a pulling back from an all-out uh, willingness to sacrifice oneself for the sake of the gospel. Yes. And uh, uh, we see that happening again. That, uh, that is always a part of it. And so uh, I just want to lend my voice to saying, uh, to encourage people, that this is the way the gospel has always spread, not in safety and security and comfort, but often in uh, t- utter sacrifice and incredible uh, difficulties the gospel has gone forward. And so this should encourage many to offer themselves anew to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Yes. Mm. Thank you, Dave. Very well said. Um, As both Greg and Dave have said, it's an awkward transition to go from something like this um, to our next topic. But I think um, as we ponder, um, these people giving their lives. And Mm -hmm. as we ponder our own mortality in these things, as believers, we know that we have a hope and a joy to look forward to one day. Um, and there are, there are questions that arise from this. And, uh, Greg, last week, Steve and I did a mini apologetics on, uh, believers and whether or not they should fear death and, um, you know, tried our best to kind of fudge our way through that question. Yeah, that was Um, great. And today we want to deal with the topic, are there rewards, physical rewards that a person could look forward to in heaven? Uh, The Bible seems to speak about us receiving crowns, about us receiving jewels and um, things like this. And you and Dave have a more interesting, uh, different take on this. Um, And we've gotten a lot of great feedback on this question. This question has been pressing on a lot of people's minds. And so, Greg, I'm going to let you go ahead and just talk about some of that feedback and go from there. Sure. I... um it, this ties into you, Dave, uh, so much, and I'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just keep passing the potato here as Nathan passed it to me, but I'll set it up. How's this? By saying, uh, let's see, it was 1997, Nathan, that mm-hmm. Dave Shive's life was forever changed when he met me. Um, yeah, Notice he didn't say for good or ill; right, he just said well, changed. <laughs> right now, he's tearing up as he reflects back on that first meeting. He um, he just didn't know how his life was going to change as as you know a result. And, well, uh, I've, I've grown tremendously through the suffering. Touche, man. What can I say to that? Um, yes, it was. Uh, I was a young, fresh out of seminary, twenty-seven-year-old uh, pastor, and Dave and I were having one of our many breakfasts, and um, I, it was uh, an article. At that point, was about I think three, five years old, Dave, by uh, Craig Blomberg that had written in, um, it was a, a Jets entry, the Journal of the uh, Evangelical Theological Society. Um, and 
Dave had, I think you had just read it at this time, Dave, and it was, it, it had scratched something in me because when I was newly saved as a teenager in my early 20s, I was for a time at a more traditional church, not quite a Reverend James King church, <laughs> uh, but, but a little bit more Reverend James King light. It was a, a Christian Missionary Alliance church. Uh, the pastor there was a, a good guy, but he was all old school. Uh, he loved to talk about Dave, the blessed hope, the pre-millennial, pre-tribulational rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. 318 times in this New Testament is the pre-millennial, pre-tribulational <laughs> rapture of the church, which, by the way, it isn't. But um, <laughs> yeah, at the time, that's just what I heard and, and believed. And he was a big rewards guy. Mm. And I remember him talking a lot about the rewards that are awaiting the righteous. And he appealed a lot. I'm sure we'll get to this passage, David, 1 Corinthians 3. Um, and, you know, uh, your works, whether they're of solid substance and metal or wood, hay, and stubble that'll burn up. Um, the beam of seat judgment. So I heard it. I guess I believed that Christians that were more sacrificial, um, which I do think, Nathan, was a great transition. I mean, these two men... Mm-hmm. who literally lost their lives for the cause of Christ very recently. Um, you know, that probably men like that get more. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure what more meant, but okay, I knew we were all going to heaven because of the, the grace of Jesus and what he had done for us uh, in his life and his death and his resurrection. But um, I guess those that do more, God takes note of and gives more too, because Jesus speaks of rewards. And uh, I never knew quite what to do with it. Because uh, it just didn't quite fit how anybody would be motivated. And Dave and I are having breakfast, and he he uh, put me onto this article by Craig Blomberg, which we'll link as well mm-hmm. in our write-up. Um, and I'll just turn it over to you, Dave, at that point, and see what you want to say about it. Well, it was uh, very provocative. Like you, I had always uh, struggled with this idea. It didn't... I saw it in Scripture... Uh, but it didn't quite make sense to me at the same time when I began to really think it through. Now, let me set the stage by saying what Blomberg's thesis is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he summarizes it in a sentence in his article where he says, there is not a single New Testament text that, when correctly interpreted, supports the notions that believers will be distinguished one from another for all eternity on the basis of their works as Christians. Right. Mm. So he's not saying uh, uh, that uh, believers don't get rewarded. He's saying that those rewards will not be a point of distinction in eternity. Yes. Uh, And so that's an important distinction, because uh, obviously the main texts that talk about rewards, and we can talk about those, but uh, his... His idea, then, is that whatever those rewards are, they do not endure throughout eternity. Yes. All right? And uh, and so uh, I think we both were tracking the same way that we found this a little bit um, almost lacking in logic. We're trying to think it through because it is in the Bible. We accept Scripture. So how can we understand this truth in light of Scripture? And um, it raised a couple questions. Uh, if I could summarize with three questions, and we can bounce these around. Number one question is, 
uh, how can uh, getting rewards that would last through eternity be an asset or an improvement on simply being in a perfect shalom, eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth, with Jesus present and pitching his tent among his people? How can you improve on that? Great question. So, you know, the idea being then, okay, I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus, but the icing on the cake is I also get rewards. And and it, it, uh, it seems almost as if, in many cases, because of our limited ability to understand heaven itself, but we like rewards. Uh, getting rewards in heaven has almost uh, supplanted just the sheer joy of being in the presence of the national Savior. Yes. All right, so I don't see how rewards are going to improve heaven, which is a place of perfection to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then the second question is, because some say, well, uh, we will have those rewards, but we won't be conscious of them. Mm-hmm. And so my question would be, well, if, we, uh, if we're not aware of the distinctions that these rewards have made, then what point do they have? You know, why, would, why would they motivate me if I'm going to get rewards that uh, I don't know I have and I'm not conscious of yes. in, in eternity? And the third question would be then if we are aware of the difference in rewards that we've received, how can we really understand heaven to be a place of bliss? Because we're all going to be at different points, and uh, and we'll see that, and and that seems to undermine the idea of uh, the perfection of heaven itself. Yes, let me uh, throw in there, Dave. This this might fall under the first one, but um, to frame it out, do you think? There is a legitimate school of interpretation uh, that evangelicals could uh, adopt that would take all of the... This is saying it even a little more strongly than uh, Blomberg in his Jets article, that um, the rewards described in the Gospels, in Paul's letters, in the other places where they are referenced, um, are really just different ways of saying heaven belonging entrance in um i i think i know your answer on this but it's been a while since we've talked about it do you feel that's a legitimate um exegetically sound way to go or do you think there's too many problems with that well i think it it's one solution i i start with 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 the premise and that is that i think that um we know far less about heaven than we think we do Mm -hmm. But no, uh, Dave, Ra- though, Randy Alcorn wrote a book. I read it. <laughs> yeah. I've had all my questions answered. <laughs> yeah. By the uh, way, that's not yeah. to knock Alcorn's book. I, I liked <laughs> yeah. it. I'm just saying, you're right. Uh, yeah. A book doesn't quite do it. Yeah, he's uh, he's written extensively on this subject, and he does believe in rewards that last throughout eternity. Yes. Although he do- I haven't seen anywhere where he really wrestles with it like we're talking about it tonight. Right. But I think that uh, as wonderful as the scriptures portray heaven, I think that we assume too much about how we can understand something that we long for but have never experienced. Yeah. You know, and that's the whole issue of, you know, the Garden of Eden, what we say, what was it like for Adam and Eve in the Garden? We don't know. We've never experienced that kind of world, but we long for it. Well, that's what the 
uh, eternal new heavens and new earth is going to be like, and if we don't know what Adam and Eve's world was like, why do we think we know what the new heavens and the new earth will be like? And the reality is there's a lot that's said about it, but so much of it is um, in, in symbolic language in the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. figures of speech, you know, streets of gold. Well, you know, that doesn't appeal to me. I don't know who wants to walk on streets of gold. Right. Actually, I mean, as if, wow, I get real gold as if I'm going to need gold in, in, in heaven. Right, you know, right. Or if that's, you know, an asset that I get to have some gold. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, you know, if somebody said, uh, Dave, the street in front of your house are going to pay with gold, I'd say, well, that's not going to last long. People just dig it up. But, you know, in reality, <laughs> in reality you know, who cares? Right. You know, it's, it's, it's so, so I think those, uh, the, that language is designed to tell us that there is this thing called the new heaven and the new earth. And the writers in scripture struggle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to give us a picture that excites us and draws a, us to it. Yes. Uh, but, but certainly, you know, we even talk so, uh, you know, erudately about, you know, eternity, how God dwells in eternity, and we dwell in time. Well, we don't have a clue what eternity is, because we haven't been there either, mm-hmm. you know. So we only know how space and time work, and everything else is somewhat of an abstraction. So I think that we should tread carefully when we you know, kind of pontificate on what heaven is like and maybe treat, uh, you know, hold it a little bit more loosely. Yes, yes. But Dave, I have read the books about the little children that have gone to heaven, and you <laughs> seem to be suggesting that maybe I shouldn't be looking at those books with gospel authority. And I, I'm a little concerned with what you're saying there. <laughs> well, like, like we said at the beginning, you know, your infatuation with infatuation with ninjas, and now with these, <laughs> you know, about little children going to heaven. I mean, it's really cute, and my grandchildren would really love that. Yes, but I don't know if there's any five-year-olds listening to this podcast. Yeah, I could tell you, Dave. Uh, no five-year-olds uh, listen. My own kids refuse to listen. <laughs> Um, I've tried to tell my 17-year-old daughter, oh, I think you really like this podcast. And she's like, Dad, I'm 17. I don't do podcasts, <laughs> particularly ones that my dad does. So there right. there we have it there. Uh, so nobody is. Yeah, Heaven is for Real was the book I was thinking of, Nathan. Yeah. Reminded me of it. Can we, by the way, just put a moratorium on all kids? <laughs> I, I, look, <laughs> dude, all I'm going to say is I've always found it intriguing, right, that the Apostle Paul went to heaven he wasn't permitted to describe what he saw, right? But like everybody else is, yeah. Um, and my word, I mean, I just want to come up with another book. I'll even go Catholic and say five minutes in purgatory or something, just to just to have a new, fresh angle on it. Greg, purgatory is the ghetto side of heaven. Yeah, <laughs> purgatory was the trip to the DMV I made recently. Um, is is what I would think. Yeah, well, Dave, any, I mean, we can dive into this anywhere. I think I love the three questions you framed out. Maybe just to take it conversationally on the first one, um, that's always been my issue. I've never understood, in light of all the scriptures that speak of the joy of being with Christ. We, we talked about that recently in another format. But, you know, Paul says, I longed in a part that I might be with him. Jesus tells the thief, today you'll be with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says in Second Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body mm-hmm. is to be present with the Lord. So everybody gets that. I've just, 
honestly, I, I've always struggled with knowing how rewards, if they're even a thing, uh, quite fit. I, I mean, I've yeah. heard people tell me things like, um, you know, as you mentioned in your questions, Dave, not that they're not conscious of it, but, you know, dude, I just want another jewel in my crown so I can lay it at the feet of Jesus. And, okay, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like, come on, dude, that's cliche. I mean, is that even real? I mean, is there going to be a moment where I have a, I've never worn a crown um, <laughs> and I'm going to have a crown and I'm going to lay it down? And, Dave, am I right? I, I looked at crown in the last week um, knowing we were going to do this, and I – I would say, and I'll put this to you, it looks to me like every reference to the crown is a symbol for eternal life. Right, yeah. So I, I'm not even swayed that there is a crown or some sort of mm-hmm. you know, decorative thing I'm given right. as an ID yeah. card or something in heaven. Um, yeah. And to me, the other factor, Dave, that I'll throw in here that a listener made a very good point in a direct message to me today is they said, what about children? Um Assuming for the moment, Nathan, I did a podcast on this last summer. Yeah. But assuming for the moment, as many Christians do, that little children that die in infancy go to heaven, uh, man, no rewards for them, right? Because they should just be happy they got in. And, yeah. And that with uh, Blumberg's um, constantly referencing the parable of the workers in the vineyard, which is to me the ultimate grace parable, mm-hmm. right? The the guys that have been sweating it out all day, yeah. and the Johnny Come Latelys that get in ten minutes before closing time, right. all get the same thing. Yeah, um, has to be and balanced what, with this. And what's interesting about that parable in Matthew twenty is that it comes in answer to a question Peter raised, which is, uh, "Lord, we have left everything to follow you. What will we get?" Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and point. and. The, and, you know, it's, uh, a lot of sermons on Matthew 21 to 16, the parable, but in the context, it's really clear what Jesus is doing. He's saying, well, Peter, I've already told you that you're going to sit on the uh, 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who follows me will get eternal life. Right. Yeah, as if uh, to say, you, know, you can't top that. Right, and, and that's that's one of my concerns. You know, you, uh, you know, and the question can giving rewards be an asset or improvement on being in the presence of Christ through all eternity and experiencing the fullness of eternal life? You know, and the answer is no. You cannot improve on that. Uh, can you imagine being in heaven saying, "Well, this this." New heavens and earth is great, but man, I just wish I had a couple of rewards to go with it. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. I mean, would, would anybody think that even for a moment? You know, that I just wish I had a crown or some. You know, wish the streets were truly paved with gold. There were pearls in the walls. You know, that no one's going to think that when you're in the presence of Christ. And I think what we do is we devalue not only uh, the awesome significance of the fullness of eternal life that we devalue what it means to be in the presence of Christ who is who has suppressing wealth, uh, value, and worth. And both of those get diminished Yes, when we say we just want a mansion over the hilltop. <laughs> oh, Dave, you took it. I'm just, I gotta quote it. <laughs> I have to quote it. I'm, I'm gonna quote it. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below. 
a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one that's silver lined. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop and that bright land where we'll never grow old and someday yonder will never more wander but walk on streets that are pure as gold. Though often tempted, tormented, and tested, and like the prophet, my pillow is stone. And though I find here no permanent dwelling, I know he'll give me a mansion. It's not a mansion. Of my own. Uh, the chorus. And then here it is, Dave. Don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. I'm just a pilgrim in search of that city. I want a mansion, a harp, and a crown. I hate that <laughs> hymn. I, and interesting enough, I would encourage you to look at that hymn. Not one reference to Jesus in the hymn. Yeah, yeah. Not one. Oh, no. God and Jesus, not there. Because it is just the most, to me, Dave, I feel like some Horatio Alger reader, uh, one of those rags to riches story, almost took this, uh, a couple of verses from the Bible, and strung together, hey, look what we're going to get to when this mm-hmm. is all done. And I'm probably being unfair. Um but that hymn, and we used to sing it at the church I referenced uh, <laughs> when I was a younger believer, and I, I didn't have a theological category for it, although it it felt strange to me to sing it, and I couldn't quite put it into words. Mm-hmm. But you take a hymn like that, and you take Amazing Grace, We've Been There, 10,000 Years, Bright Shining as, you know, bright shining as the Sun, No Less Days to Sing His Praise. And when yeah. we first um, The difference. Yeah. Staggering. I mean, I don't know, Dave. You think I'm being too yeah. hard on that hymn? No, I was just reading today. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the name W. Graham Scroggy. Yes, I've seen it before. He, it, yeah, he's older an old writer. writer. Right? Yeah, yeah. And he was asked if there would be rewards in heaven, and he responded, "My anticipation of heaven." Oh no, no. He was asked if he will recognize his wife. Hmm. Uh, in heaven, and he says, my anticipation of heaven would be less if I could not recognize my wife of 39 years there. Wow. And um, it made me think of the quote that you mentioned this past uh, week when we had lunch, where you said that um, something about uh, hell if Christ were there and heaven if Christ were not there. What was that quote? Do you remember? Yeah, that was, uh, I, I believe that's a Puritan quote. Our listeners get this stuff quickly. I might have been John Trapp that said, um, if I went to heaven and Christ was not there, it would be a hell to me. If I went to hell and Christ was there, it would be a heaven to me. You know, really yeah. capturing why heaven right. is heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's not to um, minimize uh, the pleasant thought that we'll recognize family and friends and loved ones in heaven. Yeah. Which, which you know, that's just a whole other topic. Sure. But my point is to suggest that experiencing the fullness of eternal life and being in the presence of the um, Son of God who surpasses all things in value, that would be diminished if I couldn't find my wife. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, Wow. Really, really good point, Dave. Um, yeah, so I think that, that your first question is a good one, and I think that's why so many people wrestle with it. I I know, I always tell people, look, our minds can't take it in, right? You know, like when my kids ask me about heaven, mm-hmm. you know, what, you know wow, what's the joy going to be like? You you do appeal to earthly analogies. I'll, I'll say to my little guys, hey, what was the best day you've had? 
oh, Dad, it's the day we went to Hershey Park. It's the day we we did this at the ocean and we had this. And I'll say, okay. And they talk about the joy and everything. And I'll try to tell them that that joy is going to look like one of their sick days, you know, when they're in heaven. Because you're yeah. trying to cram an eternal right. truth into a, a pea brain mind, myself included. So, um, you know, that makes all, um, you know, examples, analogies a little bit lacking. But the the little bit I can gather, it, it's the old, you know, how can you have, you know, the dumbest phrase in the world is more perfect, right? Um, <laughs> there can't be more perfect. Something can't be yeah. uh, more square than something else. It's uh, uh, is by definition, First John 3, 2, when we see him, we'll be like him. For we'll see him yeah. as he is. Um, so I, I, that's why, Dave, I am leaning, uh, leaning uh, to this thought that perhaps every reference on rewards is, in some sense, metaphorically, um, a you know, a description of heaven itself. But I do have problems with the First Corinthians three passage, um, which maybe we can we can get to, but. Um, anything else you want to say, Dave, under this first question? Uh, no, I think we've uh, pretty much beaten it to death. Good. <laughs> Nathan? <laughs> yeah, I, just a thought to throw out there. And, and I understand that our, our joy should be and our focus should be looking forward to Christ. Um, is there any kind of idea or sympathy, though, that, that – Someone who says, you know, seeing their wife or seeing other people, is there some validity to that? Because I think back to the Garden of Eden where Adam was created in perfection and there's one thing that God says is not good and that is that man is alone. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do with that where where man was created perfectly? He was created in perfect union with God at that time, but God deems it necessary for him to have a companion. Mm -hmm. So can there be something said for the joy and the excitement of other people being in heaven as well? Great question. Yeah, I think, I think there is. I, I just think that again, we're beset with our limitations in understanding that, uh, you know, for instance, my mother died when I was 13. Mm -hmm. If she were alive today, she'd be in her nineties. Uh, how will I recognize her in heaven, and how would she recognize me? Well, obviously, God can figure that out. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, if we want to make heaven real, it's a little hard to understand that. Or my dad was married four times, never divorced. Mm -hmm. all, all four wives were believers. All four will be in heaven with him. You know, what does, you know it's one thing to talk about my one wife, but when you've had four wives, yeah. What's that like in heaven? You know, so I'm not saying those are you know overwhelming problems, uh, but I'm, I think that it's not quite as simple as the Scroggy illustration where he had one wife and he wants to see her in heaven. Right. You right. know. So, and how do we understand all how all that works too? Yeah. No. Very. Very good, Dave. I think you're right. This is where the the earthly stuff breaks down. But I I, I know Nathan what you're saying, and you're bringing good counterbalance because. Yeah. Obviously, you know, Revelation itself gives us some other incentivizing pictures. You right. know, no more sickness, no more tears. Right. Uh, he'll wipe away every tear. Um, so there are these, uh, could we call them, Dave, fringe benefits um, 
that maybe some of these pictures like Streets of Gold and other things are trying to get at that, you know, there's going to be all these wonderful fringe benefits that come from yeah, finally like being our, face-to-face. Like our pets that we so love, will they be in heaven? Oh. Alcorn, as they will. <laughs> you know, and uh, I remember one time a fellow in one of my churches told me his cat died and wanted to know if he'd be in heaven. I thought he was joking, and I started to laugh. Yeah. Because I really thought he wasn't, but he was deadly serious, and he was starting to cry. Oh, my word. And, and that was the first time I realized how important that subject is to people. Yeah. You know, wow. So, you know, uh, not only will we see our wives or our children or who, parents who've gone before us, will my little dog Frisky, who was taken away from me when I was 11, will, will Frisky be in heaven? Yeah. And will, will I even care? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, well, Dave, I'm sorry. That answer has been given by the Reverend James King on a previous podcast, wasn't it, <laughs> I think his take, uh, Dave, was, it's, uh, tell me, he said using Bible logic, we could see that uh, there's going to be a whole mess of people that are going to be need to need to be sustained through an eternity in conscious torment in hell, and uh, they're going to need to eat. So his take was that's where the pets go. Oh, okay. So would you, I mean, you would say that's accurately biblical? If that's what the King James Bible says. <laughs> yeah, the, um, see, for me, Dave, it's easy because my kids have never had pets. Um, so other than fish and nobody, nobody asks if fish are going to go to heaven, man. <laughs> Poor fish, it sucks to be a fish. <laughs> nobody even cares. Yeah, nobody asks about if they're little fish. They ask about their dog or their cat or maybe they don't even get proper burials. I mean, (laughs) they get the porcelain pot. We call it a burial at sea. We're going to send them out to the ocean so they can be free with all the other dead floating fish. Um, Anyway, yeah, that. um, (laughs) They move us. I already forget the second question, man. Oh, my second question was uh, in response to those who say that uh, we're not going to be conscious of these rewards. Yes, we'll have them, but but we won't be con- because they're trying to deal with the the fact that we'll look at one another, and I look at you, Greg, and 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 uh, and you'll look at me, and in heaven you'll still be bald, and I'll have a head of hair, <laughs> and and we can't we, be, be kicked off, you know. But but seriously, you know the whatever these rewards would be that would distinguish us because they're different. Obviously, we're in a perfect environment, so there won't be anything like jealousy or envy, uh, which raises, which causes some people to say, well, we just won't be conscious that we have these rewards, which then obviously raises the question, what's the point of having something that you don't know you have? Yes. Yes. And how, well, could some argue, Dave, well, it was just for motivation in this life. Yeah. Which is puzzling. Uh, again, right, yeah. Again, I just I think you you first said this to me when we had that breakfast all those years ago. I mean, I think you said, "Can you imagine some guy? Oh, I know I should go visit this poor suffering person that's ill in the hospital right now. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Hey, wait a minute. I might get like an extra room um, <laughs> in my mansion. You know, I'm, I might yeah. get an extra jewel in my. Cra- it's just bizarre to me. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. even conceive of anybody being motivated by that. Uh, and if you, you if you were motivated by that, it, it, it concerns me. Yeah. Well, you think of the words of Jesus when he says, um, when you fed the hungry or gave 
drink to the thirsty or visited the poor in prison or visited the sick. You were doing that for me. Right. That was me, you know. And that seems to be the motivation that is extended to us as well. It's what we do. We do in the name of Christ. Yes. We do it for him. We believe he looks down and gets pleasure out of it, that every act of kindness is an act of worship, and that through those things also, his fame spreads to the nations. Yes. Uh, and so then, is there some bonus? Like, is it, that's that's the cake, but can we put a little icing on the cake? Like, right. you know, I'm also going to get such and such a thing when I get to heaven. And to me, that's where I always struggled. I couldn't imagine why I would want to be motivated by something that's so, to me, utterly selfish. Right. Uh, when Christ is already offering himself fully and unreservedly throughout eternity for me to be in his presence, but uh, that's not enough. Yes. Yes, it, it is interesting, Dave. I Actually, it, you know, I've referenced Piper uh, as a foil many times with you just for some humor's sake, but his, you know, whole Christian hedonism concept, uh, you know, that which I think a, a lot of things he says make sense that, we have to be careful, right, to not completely obliterate um, self-interest because, you know, he, he makes the point, I know, that uh, whoever wishes to save his life uh, will lose it for my sake, you know, and um, whoever wants to, um, uh, you know, uh, basically be first must be last, that you've got these, these incentivizing uh, pictures which he says don't obliterate self-interest. It just tells us where our interest should be placed. I'm just wondering, and I don't know, maybe our listeners could tell me, I, I can't remember Piper's take on rewards, but I wonder if he would say something like, well, that self-interest is fine, you know, because it's Jesus appeals to it in us for salvation. Uh, why wouldn't he appeal? Uh, and I'm not saying Piper does say this. I, I can't remember. Uh, why wouldn't he appeal to us on the same basis for rewards. In other words, Dave, I'm wondering, could somebody make a defense? You're darn right I'm motivated out of self-interest. Um, you know, but I wouldn't... Oh. Wouldn't the, the privilege of being in an eternal relationship with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth be a self-interest? Yes, yes, well, exactly. I mean, that's that's my point. Uh, and can, yeah, so can you top that by saying, in addition, I want something else? Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. 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 I no, mean, obviously, I, yeah. yeah, we're wired to do the things that are to our advantage. We want to go to heaven. Why? Well, because we don't want to go to hell because we want to be with Jesus. We want it. It's something that appeals to us. So it's not as if we are, uh, we rid ourselves of self-interest when we become Christians. But our self-interest, uh, uh, moves to a higher plane. It's it's a higher motivation. I want to be not uh, absorbed in things that are uh, that are lesser, but I want the highest value, and the yes. highest value is Christ Jesus, my Lord, as Paul says in Philippians three. Yes, yes. And so for that, I suffer the loss of all things because knowing Him is uh, is the highest value. And uh, as we're talking, Dave, I'm looking here at my Bible verse, but my MLB notification flashed across the top of the screen and tells me, talk about rewards, Steven Strasburg of the Washington Nats just got a, a little motivation to stay on a $175 million extension. 
Um, wow. Largest ever for a pitcher who has had Tommy John surgery. So uh, just want to say, Dave, I mean, let me ask you, Dave, you, you think that's a fair reward, don't you, for the work that uh, major league <laughs> pitchers do? That is one of the most horrible segues I've ever heard on the radio. It is. It is. My ADHD is kicking in full throttle, isn't it, Nathan? You even Nathan, you should have seen Nathan's eyebrows when I'm saying that. He's like, what in the... Um, yeah, but I just had to mention that, Dave, that uh, a pitcher got a $175 million uh, extension. I hope he's able to make ends meet. Um, you know when he's when he's out of baseball. Um, let me ask you this, Dave, because Nathan is reminded. I can't believe it. We're running low on time. Yeah, I feel like we're just getting into this. First um, Corinthians three eleven to me is a very strong section here. Actually, I'll back up to verse ten. Uh, just read it quickly. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, and this is the old preaching I heard in my early years, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, uh, presumably, obviously, the last day, the day of final assessment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So the way this was preached to me, Dave, uh, and I, I'm wondering if you heard sermons, I think you did like this, and Nathan, maybe you've heard them too, mm -hmm. was, hey, the guy in verse 15 is the saved guy, uh, but only, I mean, he kind of gets barely in there, right? Mm -hmm. He kind of gets heaven because his works were minimal <laughs> or built of straw and uh, things that burned up. But the, 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 the Billy Graham, to use the safe example, right? Who's given his life? He over. gets Trump Tower. He exactly, dude. He gets all of Trump's properties. Um, and I'm, you know, I, again, I'm mocking the caricature, of course, not the text. But uh, your thoughts on that passage, Dave? Well, uh, going back to um, Blomberg's main thesis, which is that uh, there are uh, New Testament texts which, when correctly interpreted, support the notion that believers will be distinguished from one another for all eternity on the basis of their works. Now I go to this passage. Uh, it's interesting not only what this passage says, but what it doesn't say. It does speak of the day showing it. It's talking about things that people do in the name of Christ or for Christ uh, in ministry. And then um, it's saying that his works will be tested in some way, and uh, so far, so good, and he will receive a reward. It does not tell us what the reward is. Mm -hmm. It doesn't tell us how long the reward lasts. Is it the simply the satisfaction in verse 14 of seeing uh, that your works uh, survive, that they were pleasing to the Lord, that they produce good fruit? Will we get to see that in some way? Um, that, that, to me, makes the most sense. If the 
if the uh, work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Mm-hmm. In what way? We'll look and see things that we did, and we'll realize that we did them with wrong motives, or we did them, you know, um, they were unwise or whatever. And so it has a limited scope in that sense. It doesn't tell us anything about eternity. Uh, it doesn't tell us about heaven. Mm-hmm. It simply says that God will be interested in in uh, all of the works that we do being put to the test, and uh, some will survive and some won't, and the ones that survive, there will be some kind of reward, and those that don't, uh, we will still be saved. Yeah, uh, interesting, David. It almost reminds me of what has been called the final look back. I remember, uh, I think, Dave, I did this at Stillmeadow, where we, we served together. I, I showed a clip years ago of the um, scene in Schindler's List. Remember when... Um, yeah. Uh, Neeson's character is there, and it, it's, a, it's such a powerful scene when he's mm-hmm. sort of realizing, you know, he's looking at his watch, remember, and says, I, I could have gotten five more. And yeah. uh, remember his car, my car, I could have gotten 20 more. And everybody's encouraging him, that there'll be generations, doctor, because of you. But there's that yeah. sense in him, which is a, such a moving scene, I know, but I could have done more. You know, I've wondered that sometimes. Is there kind of the final look back? Um where we're we're in essence saying, "Wow, you know, when in light of eternity, the clarity, the things that I thought were important were so unimportant. The things that maybe I left undone. Obviously, it, it's hard to picture grief, guilt, paralysis being carried into the new heavens and the new earth. Um, right. So it's interesting when you say the scope there is rather limited. Uh, I think is interesting. It doesn't speak of an eternal distinction." You know, right. the, the reward winners and the losers. And is there something, Dave, again to it? Am I right that it is singular? It's reward singular? In verse 14? Yes. Well, I can tell you that. You just uh, do some filler for a moment. Yes, I will. <laughs> Let me... Um, As you're so good at doing. I am good at the filler. It's so cool. I got to shout out to Al Myers, one of our regular listeners, um, Nathan, As right after I did that. He texts me and he says, Strasburg yes, got 175 million. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sorry, Dave. Yes. It is singular. I, I'm just it curious. Right, yeah. because it's a, you know, I mean, interesting. It's a singular thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a multitude of gifts or ribbons or crap. I just, mm-hmm. just throwing that out for consideration. Um, and did we sort of bleed into the third question, Dave, in this free flowing conversation? Because I know we got to wrap up. Yeah, the third question was, if we are uh, aware of distinctions in the rewards that we receive in eternity, how can heaven be a place of bliss? Yes, yeah. Which is the old, you know, the the dude's got the mansion around the corner and you're in a shanty. Like in that great scene in Happy Gilmore, Nathan. Yeah. You you know, where Shooter McGavern is uh, walking across the greens and all the riffraff have come out to support Happy. And he goes, you people! Go back to your shanties. Um, so I, I think, you know, Dave, am I going to end up in a shanty? <laughs> <laughs> Don't answer that. Well, that, that's the subject for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this this difficulty is why people draw the conclusion that we're not conscious of these, because if we were, you know, that would make it difficult. And that's a possibility. Uh, but then we're back to question two. Then if we're not conscious of these rewards, what's the point? Do they What's have? the point in them? Yeah. yeah, good, 
Good point. Yeah. So obviously, the Blomberg article that we've referenced uh, mm-hmm. referenced a lot goes into much more detail. It's a nice, solid article. What, Dave, about twenty pages, I think, or so. Um, and, and were you there, Dave, at Jets when he, uh, or not Jets? What what is it called? ETS. When ETS. Uh, when when he presented that paper. No, no. Okay. That was that was before I started going to ETS. Yes, because I know you've gone to to there many times, and I've always wanted to go. But Dave, you've never invited me. Well, I, you would be out of your element. Yeah. <laughs> These are really smart people. <laughs> you know what's funny? He's absolutely right. I'd be there trying to like keep up pretending when people are busting out their Greek phrases and stuff like right. That's what I've always wondered. Um, but and also, Dave has bugged with me before and knows how I snore. And that might have something to do with it as well. Um, nice. Well, that was great. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and uh, sign off now. Great discussion. We just rocked the Casper. Rocked it. These go to 11.